This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are going to be listening and learning a little bit more about postpartum body image, helping people with disordered eating, specifically in pregnancy and postpartum, and also how to tell when you might need to consult a professional. Our guest, Katie Lynch, is a licensed clinical social worker specializing in eating disorders, body image, and the postpartum period. She has two daughters, a three-year-old and a 10-month-old. She has made it her mission to help women stop dieting and find food freedom for themselves and their children. She's going to share with us a bit about her personal story throughout her life of dealing with body image challenges, disordered eating, and how she coped. There's some really good information in here that I think a lot of people can identify with and learn from, specifically because pregnancy and postpartum are very pivotal times in your life where you're dealing with a lot of body change and it brings up anxiety sometimes or things that you didn't expect to be thinking about during pregnancy and postpartum. And one of those things that which I'm sure you've all heard of is how to get that body back. And well, we're going to talk about that and uh, what kind of damage that thinking in our society really does to us. And thankfully, Katie is here with a lot of great information for you to help you navigate this time of body changes in pregnancy and postpartum. So let's hear from Katie. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to tap into your knowledge and understanding around body image and body changes and all of all of the really fun and stressful stuff that comes up around pregnancy and postpartum uh, related to that. So how about just start wherever you'd like with a bit of your personal story? Sure. So I struggled with, I've struggled with body image, I think, since I was old enough to understand what a body was. And I think, you know, throughout most of my life up until around my early twenties, I felt 
overweight and I felt like I lived in a larger body. I did not just want to be clear, but I felt that I did. And so at around my early twenties, I had just gone through a difficult breakup and went pretty hardcore on a diet and lost the weight, thought that I was going to be really, really happy and that everything magically would get better. And what happened was it was really hard for me to maintain that weight. So my body did not want to be where I wanted it to be. And so in order for me to stay at that weight, there was a ton of behaviors happening. So what that looked like for me was a lot of restriction. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't exercise because I was so scared to like gain any weight from muscle. Mm -hmm. So I just restricted a lot. I eventually got married and kind of around that wedding time was where my, you know, eating disorder and body image was the worst. Cause I was like, quote unquote, like, you know, sweating for the wedding or whatever mm-hmm. that, you know, people do. And sure. I had this thought in my mind and I was like, okay, if this doesn't get better after I get married, I'm going to get help. And if this is just about the wedding, then, you know, I'll be fine if I gain weight afterwards. Surprise, surprise. Um, It was not just about the wedding. (laughs) I was pretty obsessed still and devastated when my weight would go up. So I sought out treatment in an outpatient type of way then, which meant for me once a week therapy, once a week dietitian appointments, once a week group therapy. So I did that for about six months and it really helped. I was lucky in the sense that recovery took quickly to me. I think Mm. I was really desperate and ready for it. It was so difficult, but around that time, I would, you know, I, one of the reasons I sought out recovery was because I wanted to have a kid, a baby, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to pass on the way that I thought about food to that baby. Right. So I got pregnant quickly. I got lucky in that way. So I think I was probably about a year a year, yes, a year into recovery when I got pregnant. Mm. And obviously my body changed. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. And I was the type, I am the type of person to gain weight quickly. And I don't ever have that period of not looking pregnant. And so what it felt like for me was just like two years of weight gain is what it felt like. And I, you know, I was very lucky with healthy, with a healthy pregnancy, but had, you know, all the symptoms, you know, nausea and Sure. You know, for forever. But, you know, what was tricky beyond pregnancy was like all this stuff you can't control, right? Like so much stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like my body was changing and it was the first time where I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. Right. right. Like in the yeah. past, I would have gone on a diet or like worked out harder or changed something I was doing, but I was in recovery. So I wasn't doing that. And I was pregnant. So I was mm-hmm. like, this is what is supposed to be happening. Right. I just didn't like it. Um, and I never felt like that beautiful pregnant glow. You know, pregnancy doesn't really suit me, I will say. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like myself pregnant. And then to add up, you know, on top, all of those bodily changes was challenging. Sure. So nine months went by, I had the baby, very healthy labor, everything was great. And Surprise, surprise, my body didn't like come back. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I do hate that phrase because yeah. our bodies didn't go anywhere, right? <laughs> right. Like we still yes. have them. Um, yes. And in fact, like they're, you know, my body is stronger than it ever was before. But societally, I felt upset with, mm-hmm. I felt upset that I felt pressure to get my body back, right? It right. seems like, 
pregnancy is something that people really accept like a bigger body and change. And then the second the baby comes out, people always want to talk to you about how you look. (laughs) Yeah. And even what feels like well-intended comments still didn't land well for me. So like, for example, people would say, oh my God, it looks like you didn't even have a baby. Right. Yeah. And of course they mean that nicely, but they, you know, they, they think that that's nice because we live in, you know, a pretty toxic diet culture world where thin is everything. Right. And so that was, that was challenging on top of like the challenges of having a newborn baby (laughs) which is the most challenging thing I think to date that I have done. Right. Um, Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yes, it was. And, you know, besides your body being sore and uncomfortable and depending on the way, you know, your delivery rent went, like you may be in a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. On top of people commenting on, you know, oh my goodness, you look so great. Or, oh my goodness, you only have a few left. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. Five pounds was what I meant. And like, you know, as young women slash children growing up, we all, we're just bombarded by these ideals about what a woman what a woman is and what a woman's body should look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And postpartum, you typically don't look that way. Right? Right. And, yeah. and, and it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but we feel like there's something wrong with it, right? Which is the, yep. the problem. Yeah. I mean, there's so, I mean, there's so much just in what you've described with, with all of the the body changes for yourself. I'm thinking of the people who are listening, you can really identify with all of that feeling out of control, your body's changing, you don't know really in what way or how it's going to look or how it's going to feel. And, you know, well, that in and of itself is going to get back to where it was, you know, like right. it may not go back or it may, or it will mm-hmm. be different. Right. But like the idea and belief that it's supposed to look how it looked when, before you had children is just odd. Right. Uh, right. But that is the reigning myth is is that it's supposed to go back or it should or mm-hmm. any number of things that whatever is left over sort of after this baby comes is not good enough. Right. And, you know, a lot of women, people, parents feel that pressure instantly, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, after my six weeks of, you know, like not exercise are up, now I got to get it together. I hear a lot of women say that and and feel as if, you know, it's a personal failure on their part yeah. if their body doesn't look the same as it did when they were 25 or when before they got married or before they had their baby. Yeah. Yeah. And my thought is always like your entire life just changed. Like your body probably is going to change with you, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously it's a lot easier said than done <laughs> to say that, of course, you know, oh, but the culture sure. around that is just really, really intense. I have found Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you're, you're, you had also highlighted kind of having a previous, previous to pregnancy eating disorder or disordered body image really with, with pregnancy and postpartum can, can really have devastating mental, emotional effects um, with your body changing. What, what do you see in your practice and with people that you support? What kinds of things come up as the body's changing? Yeah. I see a lot of people wanting to resort to behaviors, to be honest, even Mm -hmm. though they know it's not the right move and they're scared, you know, of harming their child. Like, so I'm talking about pregnancy at this moment. So they're scared about harming the fetus or the baby, you know, whatever point they are in pregnancy. And they're feeling so out of control, right? Mm -hmm. Pregnancy is such a lesson in not having control. Mm -hmm. And for many people who struggle with 
disordered eating or eating disorders, that is really hard for us. And so they want to diet, you know, or they want to do pregnancy perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I see a lot is a lot of people taking on this role of I'm going to eat really quote unquote healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to exercise every day. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat any, you know, food that I have deemed bad slash unhealthy. And so that makes them, you know, feel really, really trapped by those thoughts and then feel like they're harming themselves and the baby if they stray from that, you know, idea. So I see a lot of orthorexia pop up. And so orthorexia is an obsession with clean eating, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, what the world is obsessed with right now, too. (laughs) Um, So I definitely see a lot of that. And then I also see a lot of people emotionally, you know, truly just struggle with not feeling themselves. And then when they don't feel themselves, it lands on their body. So for example, I feel really anxious or depressed today. And instead of wanting to sort out that feeling, I'm going to talk about how much I hate my thighs or how much I hate my like varicose veins, right? Or my new stretch marks. Mm -hmm. And so that's sometimes where it, I like to call it where it lands. So all outwardly they might be, but I would say shaming their own bodies and internally you're describing anxiety. Yes. So, so much like so much feeling happening on the inside and not knowing how to explore it or deal with it, but it feels, and I'm using quotes, like quote unquote, fear to like blame it on our body or want to fix our body. Like as if that is going to help the internal emotion. So that's also pretty common. And then unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't always know what to do with client patients who have struggled with an eating disorder and sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, give not maybe the best advice in terms of telling us what to eat or how much to exercise. And that can be really, really challenging. So, I mean, I had that example as much as I loved my doctor, she was very anti certain food groups, which was really triggering for me. Interesting. Um, Like specifically because of pregnancy or because... In general. (laughs) Oh, got it, got it. So so like I would say like, oh, you know, typical questions like tell me about your diet, how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, I basically eat whatever I want. Like I eat intuitively. And, you know, there was some issue around the fact of like me eating like white rice or sweet potatoes or Mm -hmm. a bagel. And and I was like, A, I'm in eating disorder recovery. You can't say this to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and B, do you really say this to other people? And do you really believe this? Right. No. So, you know, doctors, as well intentioned as they are, they don't always know what to do with this. Sure. And they're also just as immersed in diet culture as the rest of the world is. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? 
was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, now that's an interesting point, and I'd like to like tease that apart a little bit <laughs> um, because I do, I do, I've, I hear this d- debate a lot around kind of how health is measured through BMI, through weight. I um, mean, everybody who you know goes to the doctor, they're weighed unless they know that they can opt out. But and then the the issue of BMI comes up. You know, I've heard all over the place that. BMI is used across the board, but it's not really an accurate measure of health. And um, despite all of that, it can be really triggering for people, right? To to be weighed and to to have their BMI a, a certain number, and then have the doctor kind of doubling down on that. Yes, and I, you know, I have found with most. I t- first of all, I tell most of my clients not to look at the scale. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always work, and it doesn't always help, right. but. I have found that because, you know, BMI and weight are just pretty standard measures that doctors have to take, you know, they want to get those measures and it's Mm -hmm. not because they necessarily believe that they're accurate either, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they have to get them for insurance purposes. Right. Ah, (laughs) oh man. Okay. Or like a soapbox issue right there. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So that's what I've found a lot. You can ask not to, right? You can't ask not to be weighed. I have found that people really struggle with that because they don't want to defy their doctor right. or a nurse mm-hmm. or the nurse may look at them like, what is wrong with you? Right. Mm-hmm. So even when I do blind weights, so meaning I just don't look like the nurse will be like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, well, I just don't, I don't care what the number is, but I don't need to know, mm-hmm. you know, like for mm-hmm. my own, you know, my soul doesn't need to know that. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> and for that. BMI, right? It's I mean, BMI always, I always had a hard time with because I was always in a high slash quote unquote, like obese weight range. And I was not anywhere close to being overweight and or obese. Right. Mm-hmm. So those numbers have always been like, what is this? You uh-huh, know? Right. Yeah. And, but because that number was there, I always felt like, well, I'm obviously not healthy enough yet. Right. Because um, my, right. my disorder was fueled by like, I just want to get healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Which I think is a lot of people's belief. Mm-hmm. And then these arbitrary numbers online of like, oh, if you're five, five, then you should weigh this and you should be this BMI. Mm-hmm. I was following that. And that was nowhere near where my body wanted to be. 
Mm-hmm. So, can um, yeah. can I stop you there for a minute? Because I, you've yeah. used some language that I think uh, would be helpful for people in talking about where your body wants to be versus where you want to be, yeah. and especially for like pregnant and postpartum women. Can you explain what that means? Yes. So our bodies are naturally so everybody in the world has a set point weight. Mm-hmm. What that means is your body has a specific about like 10 to 15 pound range where it likes to sit. So what that number may be is usually the weight that you come back to after you've dieted and it like didn't work or after you've, you know, like, you know, wherever your body wants to go that, and most people don't want it to be <laughs> right. Okay. So, right. <laughs> um, that's what a set point is. And it's, you have nothing to, you have no control over it. Mm-hmm. Like in my belief and in many eating disorder mm-hmm. therapists belief mm-hmm. is that your body knows where it wants to be. It is us that decide that if that number works for us or not. Mm-hmm. And I found that the more people diet, the higher that set point weight becomes because your yeah. body goes through so much cycling, weight cycling. Right. So for like also pregnant women, you know, once you've had your child, your body eventually will probably come down to its set point weight or maybe a bit higher, maybe a bit lower. Mm-hmm. But your set point weight can change as we get older and it's to protect you. So it's a protective mechanism. How do you mean? So for example, like maybe, so like when we go on a diet, our body is in a starvation fasting mode. And so it, we kind of have this natural inclination to binge or overeat. And it's our body's way of telling you like, I need food. I need it now, right? Mm-hmm. Like I need, I need to be able to eat. So sometimes when people lose weight early on it, you know, their body gets stuck right at this point of like what they, what do people, they call it a plateau, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, why can't I get, why can't I move from here? And it's like, well, your body's protecting you because mm-hmm. this is what, where your lungs want to be. This is where your organs want to be. This is where your muscles want to be. This is where your heart wants to be. And as we get older, right, like, for example, into our like maybe 40s, 50s, 60s, that's like kind of when our body starts changing, right? Like our hormones are changing, Mm -hmm. menopause occurs for women, right? And so our body is like kind of creates this protective shield around us so that we don't like go into a starvation mode and like get sick Mm -hmm. and die. (laughs) Like that's like kind of the short and the long of it. But it's often why people who are like 30 are like, why can't I be the size I was when I was? (laughs) Right. Like, well, you're not supposed to be, you know, like biologically, that's not right. Uh, Well, in pregnancy specific, (laughs) what's that? But I was just kind of, we get lost in those ideas of what we should be. Right. And in pregnancy, I feel like that's even stronger. I mean, I I think there, you know, for people who love pregnancy and feel great during pregnancy, maybe it doesn't matter as much you know, in terms of where their their weight is or how they feel in their body as much. But but certainly there's this idea of you're just supposed to be like as you ever were, but with a bump or right. <laughs> or something like that. You know, I've hear, heard time and time again, people saying, well, my doctor told me I should only gain 15 to 20 pounds, but I'm already 20 pounds and I still mm-hmm. have 20 weeks to go. What am I going to do? And yeah. uh, they become panicked about it. Yes. And it's really, really difficult because, I mean, I don't really think we have a whole lot of control of our weight in general, but especially in pregnancy, we don't, Mm -hmm. right? I remember being pregnant with my first daughter and 
I was like, I'm just going to do a test, right? Like I'm going to have kale for dinner tonight. And then the next day I'm going to have pizza and I'm going to see if I gain weight both days. I gained weight both days, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And it wasn't because of like what I ate. It was because my body's trying to help me carry a healthy baby, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it just goes to show your body knows what it's doing, And it's there to help you and protect you and guide you. And our head is the one that gets in the way Mm. of allowing it to do its job. Sure. Yeah, I think, too, what you're touching on there is that just the ability to trust the process or trust your body even sometimes. I'm thinking especially for people who've had years and years of dieting or even any kind of loss or medical condition or anything that complicates being able to rely on their body or having trust there, that it must get so complicated. Yes. I mean, trusting our body, I think is one of the the really hardest things ever. We are so as a society in general, so cerebral Mm -hmm. and then to learn how to put faith in our body and in our feelings, you know, I think we have to learn how to do it almost, which is why I feel really grateful that I went into recovery prior to pregnancy. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you cannot recover if you are pregnant or after you certainly can, right. but it did help me. I was already learning how to eat intuitively and learning how to feel intuitively that that's such a skill. And I hate to use that word, but like, it's mm-hmm. such a, like, you really have to learn how to do that. Cause mm-hmm. we're, we don't do that. We don't trust ourselves. Right. And especially like to your point of like, if people have trauma in the body or, you know, X, Y, and Z related to the body, it is much harder to feel like I'm safe doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in general, safety is why people try to diet and dr- restrict and do these health plans is that they're seeking safety, mm-hmm. even though they can already have it. Hmm. Wow. That's a major point. It's so difficult to get to because in some way we're trained against trusting our bodies. I mean, uh, uh, maybe less now, but certainly, you know, there's like the clean plate club type of, of parenting that b- back in the day, like you have to eat everything on your plate, whether you're hungry or not, that kind of stuff that I think just is woven in in some ways, you know, that's just one example of how societally um, and maybe even in family culture we're, we're taught to not trust from early on. Absolutely. And if you had, you know, parents who were on diets and didn't trust their own bodies yeah. or... Right. If you maybe were, you know, quote unquote, a bigger child, you might have been told by the doctor, oh, like you need to cut your portions in half. And so that doesn't let you trust your body, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many instances I feel like where we are told we can't trust ourselves. And so leaning into that self trust feels really scary. Sure. Especially with going into pregnancy and postpartum where you don't know what's happening just in general. Right. You don't know anything. You don't know anything. So it it really like I think because of the anxiety that comes with that and and not not always like clinical level anxiety, Mm -hmm. but just worry. Certainly sometimes clinical anxiety is just so much harder. Like you're you're doing something that's brand new that you know nothing about except for, you know, what you see on TV. And that's not helpful. That's not helpful. Uh, yeah. So what do you what do you say to people who are who are pregnant and worried about body image and worried about their their weight? Mm. 
I really, really try to emphasize taking care of our emotional self before we even touch on the weight. Like, Mm -hmm. so when we are in those really vulnerable early stages of postpartum, I'm all about survival. (laughs) And, (laughs) and we can talk about your body in a little bit. Now, I realize your body is causing you distress Mm -hmm. or or you believe your body is causing you a lot of distress and it may be right. Mm -hmm. But likely the intensity of the emotion that is, is probably seeping out of you is about the fact that you have a newborn and not Mm -hmm. the fact that like, you know, your stretch marks appeared Mm -hmm. and we'll get to both. Right. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. But I think that like very delicate time of, pregnancy slash the postpartum period is if I could redo it, I would trust myself more. Uh (laughs) I would talk to other people about it less. And I would focus on my needs because I didn't pay attention to them. I was really focused on how to take care of the baby Mm -hmm. and not so focused on how to take care of myself and even as a therapist, it's like, I knew better, right? <laughs> right, right, right. But I didn't know better. I didn't. Of course. <laughs> and yeah. so the things that I struggled with, I, what, what, like I really would, instead of having like a birth plan for mothers, I would say like, let's have a postpartum plan instead mm-hmm. <laughs> because the birth is going to mm-hmm. go how the birth goes, but we have some control of the postpartum period. Yeah. We can say who can come over and who can't. We can have really great food in the, in the home. We can have, you know, help if we can afford it slash if there are neighbors or friends or family around, what can we do to set ourselves up so that we don't feel so scared? And, you know, maybe not everyone feels so scared, but there will be scary moments. There will be amazing moments, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it is, is recognizing that if we're struggling with the body distress, that it's a lot more likely that that is a microcosm of like a much bigger distress that's happening, mm. which makes sense because postpartum in the beginning is, you know, a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what do you hear from people who are struggling with body image and postpartum? What are the like top concerns or, com- oh, I don't want to say complaint, but um, yeah. yeah, concerns or I guess like things yeah, that they say. Yeah, a lot of my clients slash peers like would say, I really want to work out again. Like I really, you know, like I wish that I could exercise faster because Mm -hmm. I feel like trapped that I'm not allowed to, you know, a lot of people in C-section recovery can't exercise pretty, you know, like the way that maybe a smooth vaginal delivery went. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hear a lot of like, I really want to work out again. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of I'm breastfeeding and I haven't lost weight. Mm, I hear a lot of, I lost, you know, the 20 pounds really quickly, but these 15 won't budge. I hear a lot of women feeling really nervous about how they look in front of their spouse. Yeah. Um, And if they'll be, you know, still desired and feel beautiful to them. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of women just not feel attractive at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Which Mm -hmm. You know, there's milk coming out of their nipples and, you know, there's so much happening physically Mm -hmm. in the body at that moment that it's even, you know, that you don't still feel like yourself quite yet, right? Yeah. Um, You're still kind of like 
like the incubation period may be over, but it's like stuff is still seeping out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's kind of a gross way to put it, but you know, it's it's there. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I hear a lot of people pretty desperate to feel like themselves. And I think that they have equated themselves with also how their previous body looked. Oh, yeah. Um, So I find that pretty often are people not understanding why they have to buy new clothes even if they're at their regular weight, right? They're like, my clothes don't fit, but I'm still this number. I'm Uh like, yeah, but your body's totally different now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that is a struggle. And, you know, then I have a lot of clients who just feel, you know, like the postpartum period is so challenging that they, instead of focusing on the postpartum period, they want to focus on the body because that Mm -hmm. gives them this illusion of control, right? Mm -hmm. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Um, That that makes me wonder, you know, obviously there's, there's distress and stress and anxiety, but how would somebody at home know that it's like they're, they're the difference between, you know, being upset that their body's not the way that it used to be versus like, well, maybe I should see somebody about this. Yeah. I think duration is a part of it. Like how long are these feelings lasting? I also think that, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to ask this because I think everyone should see somebody. All right. Well, <laughs> yes. Think, but like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but especially postpartum, I think that we don't get enough checkups as moms, as new moms to check in and see how we're doing. But I do think that that should be one of like the, you know, when you're doing your postpartum plan, can you make an appointment 
like for a check-in appointment with a doctor, a coach, a therapist, somebody to check in with, right? Because some of your symptoms are going to be super, super normal and some might not be, right? And we want to make sure that we know the difference. And so how can we tell like if something's more serious? I think a lot of like the level of distress, right? Like, can you still do things? Are you feeling like trapped by these thoughts? Are you able to take care of your ADLs? So like activities of daily living. And I know that looks really weird when you're a postpartum mom. We're often not showering, right? So like- Or sleeping. Right. And so, (laughs) and, and, and to remember, like when we don't sleep, we feel like, terrible. We feel mm-hmm. delusional, right? Mm-hmm. And so the postpartum period is is tricky in so many ways, but I think that that's even more reason to have someone to talk to. Sure. Uh, sure. Because it can be isolating, it can be scary, and if you are experiencing, you know, I, I don't like to say worse, but more intense symptoms, mm-hmm. you know, at least somebody's hearing about it and you're not living in that by yourself. Yeah. If you already know that you have a history of disordered eating or body image and have done work on it, then you might be a little bit more aware during pregnancy and postpartum that it's showing up. Um, But for people who don't, it doesn't register for them or they haven't explored it, that this might, you know, be Mm -hmm. like at a clinical type of a level of something to look at. Uh, You said, maybe you said it before, they're engaging in behaviors. Sure. What, What would that, like, what are a couple of things that people might be doing that could tip them off that, hey, hey, maybe this is something to get help with? So I think dieting in general is a behavior. Um, And so what that means to me is, are you restricting, right? Are you restricting food groups, calories? Mm -hmm. Are you really heavily involved in counting macros, points, all of that? I know that some people have feelings about that. My Mm -hmm. feelings are that it's all fairly disordered. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling really exhausted, but then still feel like you must work out. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to exercise, but feel like you have to, okay. if you are binging, right? So typically it, there's not a typical, you know, for anything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. often if we're restricting heavily, a binge is a pretty normal response to that. Mm-hmm. So are we binging? Are we, you know, like using laxatives Are you know, there's, there's, kind of a laundry list of things. Sure. Yeah. But it all sounds like trying, trying to like control. It's yes. It's trying to control your weight and, or like how you look right through means that can be really detrimental to our physical and emotional self. Yeah. Would that feel like anxiety or would it feel like obsessive or? Yes. I mean, so most people who are doing this are pretty miserable, right? They don't think that there's another way to Mm -hmm. live in Mm -hmm. order to keep their like shape than to do this, but they feel like they, they hate it, you know? (laughs) So yeah, I mean this people who struggle with these, with eating disorders or disordered eating are typically really depressed and anxious. They may not look like it. Right. Uh Right. Because a lot of this is about appearing quote unquote, perfect. Mm. or striving for perfection or striving to feel, how did one of my clients put it today? Like I I have it together, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and part of like looking like I have it together is being thin or like a thin thin for me, right? So, but yeah, the distress level would be high, even if you don't recognize it, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. hard about eating disorders because the feelings get manifested into the physical, right? So People may act really normal, but like 
engage in these behaviors because they're feeling compulsive mm-hmm. and that's how they release their, their anxiety or their depression. Right. So uh-huh. instead of dealing with my loneliness or my anger, I'm going to eat less tonight and that will make me feel better. So, so that, that, that is that, well, I guess that isn't always connected to the get my body back. Not always. No, that's definitely a more, I would say severe version. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. So people who want to get their body back, you know, like they may experience some of that, but I think for the most part, they're feeling pressured from like diet culture Mm -hmm. and the fact that so many people eat in a disordered way that that all that stuff is super normalized. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was thinking if we should go into that a little bit, it's one of those things, you know, if you don't know that it's that what you're doing and well, yeah. I think that that's really common. Like yeah. I didn't know what I was doing was disordered until right. it was really disordered. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's unfortunately the way it looks for a lot of people because our diet and wellness industry is marketing like lifestyle changes versus dieting now. (laughs) And so I'm sorry, can I clarify? You mean they're calling it lifestyle changes, but it's still a diet. Exactly. Right. Got it. Exactly. Oh, that's tricky. Yeah. Great. So everyone I think has is well-intentioned in the sense that they want to feel better, look better, whatever that means for them. Mm -hmm. And they are making lifestyle changes but it's under the guise of a diet and cause they're often not different. So, you know, people and like these, like, you know, dieting companies market that way, right? Like WW, like, you know, marketed so that it's not Weight Watchers anymore. It's WW. So it's like mm-hmm. about wellness. Right. Mm-hmm. And same with Noom. Right. So mm-hmm. like the other diet is like, you know, we're not a diet. We like do therapy on your, on a phone with you. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't. Right. Like <laughs> you're not doing right. therapy on an app like right. that. It's not what's happening. Oh my gosh. Are, are a lot of eating disorder therapists uh, upset about these sorts of things? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are upset because it like really targets. So like everyone wants to be healthy, right? Oh, <laughs> like sure. everyone wants to be healthy, but so it, but all of this messaging then makes it feel like if you're not eating this way, you're living this way, you're unhealthy and therefore you're not good enough. Is like, I think the sentiment behind it. Ooh, wow. And that's uh, shame as a motivator. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and also and, apparently a moneymaker. Right, exactly. Ugh, yuck. And so, you know, they often, you know, when I was postpartum, like I would get all these ads for yeah. like, join Noom, join Weight Watchers, join this, like, mm-hmm. and it feels tempting. Right. Right. Because you want to feel better. You want to feel like in control. Like mm-hmm. your life is like, kind of crazy with a newborn in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it markets well, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense as to why, you know, a lot of postpartum people feel, you know, the need slash desire to lose weight because their life is feeling stressful and out of control. And, you know, a diet makes us feel in control in the moment. Eventually it doesn't because like, I think a lot of times a diet can control you, but it feels, you know, like the answer when you're struggling sometimes. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking too of, you know, uh, essentially what I think what I hear you saying is don't diet. Diets aren't great. <laughs> Diets are not good not for right. you. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, That's absolutely right. So for the people who do go to that or have a history of that, they might be feeling like, oh my gosh, if I can't diet, then what do I do? I'm just going to be fat mm-hmm. forever or whatever. Like, like that starts to feel out of control. How do you help people to get over that hump? Yeah, well, we do a lot of... so. What I use with clients is health at every size approach, which is an approach that deals systemically with, like it's very Mm -hmm. anti-diet. It helps people recognize that you can be healthy at many different sizes and that being thin does not necessarily equate to being healthy. Right. We talk a lot about internalized fat phobia, which most people have, but we do a lot of work around intuitive eating. Because to me, that really is the only way to achieve food freedom. And for people who want to diet, want to lose weight, like I honor the fact that that's what they want. Am I going to help them lose weight? No. Can people lose weight on their own? Of course, right? But like, I don't, I don't believe in intentional weight loss. Sometimes we change things about our lives and weight loss happens. Sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that to me, in order to like live a happy life without being controlled by food Mm -hmm. is not focusing on the weight and on dieting and on weight loss. So this, I mean, broad strokes is figuring out how to be content and or happy with who you are as you are. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Feels like that's one of the hardest things as humans (laughs) have to do, but it's it is it is really hard. It is really really hard, Mm -hmm. and you know there's a lot of societal dismantling to do, right? Yep, (laughs) yep. yep. And talking a lot about that because a lot of people don't understand or know that you know, like this system was designed for you know people to buy it, right? Like diet culture and the wellness industry is Mm -hmm. nearly a hundred billion dollar industry for people to buy products, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not because they really care about your health. But then we, we, us, are just sitting in our home sort of feeling bad about ourselves, like Mm -hmm. that we should be doing those things. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, of, to me, it's like a lot of unlearning, right? Mm -hmm. Like learning how to trust your instincts and yourself, not obsessing about, what other people are doing and eating because everyone's doing something, right? <laughs> like sure, sure. Yeah. Some sort of diet or exercise routine. That just doesn't have to affect you, right? Mm-hmm. And especially for new moms and postpartum people, right? Like the goal I think is to survive. It is to find what works for you and your happy medium and to eat what feels good yeah. and to move how that feels joyfully, right? Yeah. And it's and- not to be stressed out by the macaroni and cheese, right? Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound like an enjoyable life to me. Mm -hmm. And so like always thinking like, what are my values, right? Like how how do I want to live? And is this matching up with that? That's fantastic. Yeah. And for, you know, anyone who is pregnant, postpartum, new mom, whoever you are, right? Like, I don't want you to feel bad about wanting to lose weight. We all have desires to lose weight because that's what society has told us makes us acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not, there's nothing wrong with you Mm -hmm. for feeling that way. But some resources that I have found to be really helpful is the intuitive eating book, which is by Evelyn Tribole and Elise Reich, I think is how you pronounce that. Mm -hmm. That's been really helpful. 
And honestly, talking to a coach or a therapist that is, that is trained in like disordered eating and the postpartum period. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, really, really helpful. But most of all, like, you know what your body wants, right? We just tell ourselves that we don't know, right? Like Mm -hmm. we know when we need to sleep. We know when we need to take a shower. We know when we want a cheeseburger versus Mm -hmm. a piece of fish, right? Mm -hmm. We know. We just like our brain just like hijacks it, Mm -hmm. right? So it's okay to give in to trusting yourself and Mm -hmm. like you will be better for it and you will be a better parent for it because like your intuition, like you can't outsmart it, you know, <laughs> I love like that. it's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And thank you so much. I, I just think this is so valuable because uh, certainly for people who, even for people who don't sort of have a diagnosed eating disorder mm-hmm. or even have disordered eating or know that they do, there's so much, like you're saying, woven into just our culture that sneaks right. in that we feel guilty and, and ashamed about. And you know, having you really lay this out for us and and let us know what it sounds like inside, um, so to speak, is just so valuable. And I thank you for your time. Thank you, Dr. Kat. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you so much again, Katie, for being with us. And for those of you listening who'd like to get connected with her, please find her at katielynchlcsw.com or katielynchlcsw on Instagram. And if you know of anyone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please do share it with them. The more we understand about this important time in our lives of development and growth, the better off we'll all be. You absolutely don't have to suffer alone or in silence. There is help available. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do go subscribe from whichever platform you listen to us on, and you'll get each and every one of these episodes downloaded directly to you when it drops. There are so many episodes to listen to and choose from and share with people who you know could benefit from this really critical information. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.